The following podcast may be unsuitable for children or more sensitive listeners and may contain explicit language. Tyler Perry arrested for shitty movies, sent to prison for life. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. Hey, buddy, this is the It's All True podcast from WBEZ, powered by America's second favorite source for fake news, thewhiskeyjournal.com. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and you just heard a fake news headline from writer slash actress slash producer Issa Rae. In each episode, I talk to an amazing human being and then ask them to reveal a funny personal true story. This week, I chat with comedian Greg Proops. Hello, everybody. I'm here on WBEZ 91.5. Your NPR station for Chicago. Coming up later, we're going to be talking to you like you're a Montessori student. We talk about his writing process for the smartest book in the world. Yeah, the first six months I stared at it. I just stared at it and didn't write a goddamn thing. And I was supposed to submit something like 30,000 words a month or something like that. Delve into what Bay Area comedy is all about. People in the Bay Area are forever railing against the status quo. Um, and the problem right now, of course, in San Francisco is that we're completely Googleized and Facebookized and Twitterized. <laughs> and it all wraps up with a funny personal true story. There's a sign that says the trail is closed from here on. It's covered in by snow. And we bag him, right? Because there's 15 of us teenagers. And we're like, Larry, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, let us do it. And he goes like, all right. But before that, let's tune into some of his comedy. People get very excited about things that I can't understand at all. There's been a lot of flap-doodle and hoo-ha over the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm here to remind you that kids don't give a shit what they pledge allegiance to. They're not real aware of the whole thing. They would do anything to not start class for five minutes. I pledge allegiance to Ozzy Osbourne if he could stand. I don't remember the Pledge of Allegiance being that exciting a moment as a child. It wasn't like we were on the playground and it was, hurry, Timmy, hurry. It's time to reaffirm our dedication and and once more display the Jeffersonian principles that make our country so free. Terry, not on the playground. Seems to me it was more like, I'll eat a bug for a nickel. comedian Greg Proops and his 2007 album, Houston, We Have a Problem. Greg is incredibly talented, touring the globe as a stand-up comedian and improviser, performing live versions of his podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, and he started off doing comedy in California's Bay Area. It was a boom time in San Francisco for comedy. It was the early 80s, late 70s. So I was in an improv group that I joined at State, San Francisco State, and then I uh, started doing stand-up with my partner. And then he split to L.A., which probably was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to fly single O, you know, oh. and I was able to go roll on my own. So 
I, I've been on my own for mm, I don't know, golly now, over thirty years. <laughs> Do you think of yourself as a as a part of a duo act that's just out on his own now, or are you? Are, are... No, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, I've left him in the dirt. Uh, I'm a team player who has my own team. You know what I mean? Like oh. I'm in a bunch of different teams because I'm on the Who's Line team, and I'm in a group with Ryan Styles, and we're we're in a group, and. Uh, then um, I'm going to London to do uh, the Whose Line Is It Anyway live on the West End. So I get to be on lots of different teams. So I'm never alone in that regard. But I do love working alone uh, and doing the podcast by myself because uh, it tests your metal. If you're listening in Proopcast land, this is an awesome time to do whatever you're going to do. If you're riding a one-wheeled bicycle by yourself juggling and shit, you know what? You're weird, but go for it. I mean... <laughs> Let's face it, the unicycle substituting for your personality in a lot of ways. But George Carlin is my favorite comedian of all time because of the precision of his language and the intent of his message. Just wanted to share a few words with you that amuse me and combinations of words like hot water heater. Huh? <laughs> like to buy a hot water heater. What on earth for? Hot water doesn't need to be heated. must want a cold water heater or a hot water cooler occasional irregularity what other kind can there be if it were frequent it would be regularity i personally think that richard pryor is the greatest practitioner of stand-up that ever lived. But I was influenced by the other comics in San Francisco, Will Durst, who's a political comedian. Um, he would hate that I say this, but he was a mentor to me without him knowing it. Um, he taught me how to recycle jokes and how to do the craft. And uh, What do you mean by recycle jokes? Like, for instance, Tim, you have a joke and then you quit doing <laughs> it in your act, right? Uh -huh. And he said to me when I was like 20-something, you don't throw that joke away, did you? And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, you can rewrite it later, <laughs> right? Like a, yeah. a joke about uh, Obama. And then now the next administration, whoever it's going to be, Clinton, you, you write the joke over, but you do it about, <laughs> like you could spin on it. You could do a Reagan joke, spin it enough, yeah. rework it, and make it into a W I'm joke. still doing Reagan jokes. Right? You know what I mean? Because he's just the funny. <laughs> yeah. Reagan's always funny. Uh, you mentioned you love of George Carlin because of the precision of words. Absolutely. He's clear. His I, clarity. I read his books before I ever watched his stand-up, and his books are just as funny, almost funnier. Do you write it out? Oh, no, no, no. I work exactly the opposite of him. I, I'm <laughs> completely hither and thither and uh, willy-nilly, and I improvise way too much, and I get bored with the, how I've written it, and I try to fix it. He was meticulous. For instance, years ago, I saw him at the comedy store, and he had us on the floor. And then he goes, look, I haven't memorized this routine. Do you mind if I read it? And he said to the audience, I don't improvise, I memorize. He took a piece of folded paper out of his pocket and he read it word for word and it was just as funny. And to me, that's a comic completely in tune with their voice. I don't know how many years he did it, but the last 10, 15 years of his life, a new hour every year. And that hour could be a book. Every single one was a book, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, like the way yeah, he wrote it? Yeah. Uh, he didn't goof around that way. I think he really <laughs> sat down and wrote it. Whereas I work a, I'll think of an idea, I go on stage, I beat it up, I talk it out, I, 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 and then I redo it on stage, I edit it. As an improviser, as someone who likes to be at the last minute, someone who doesn't write out your material on stage, was it difficult to write the book? 
oh, yeah, man, I'm so undisciplined. I get high all the time and drunk and, uh, you know, you're supposed to submit, you know, 30,000 words. At one point, I had written none of it. Yeah, the first six months, I stared at it. I just stared at it and didn't write a goddamn thing. And I was supposed to submit something like, 30,000 words a month or something like that. And then I got in the swing. And then gotcha. then you realize when you start writing it, it comes pouring out. Uh. And then you have to put the brakes on because you're writing too much about stuff that only you like. Like there's way too much baseball in the book. There's way too much ancient history. And I had to be pulled back on those things. I feel like a lot of Bay Area comedians, I don't know much about how the, the comedy scene in California works at all. It feels very different from Chicago uh-huh. and New York. But when I think of, like, W. Kamau Bell started off in the Bay Oh, Area. I, uh, Kamau used to, uh, when he wasn't black, he used to play for me. <laughs> the Kamau's hell is that his mother loves me. <laughs> and heard, I love I was Kamau. talking to Dwayne Kennedy about his mother. Yeah. His mother is, like a, is a famous writer and all that. Right. right. Yeah. But uh, he's very political. Is there a political edge to a lot of the comedy coming out of San Francisco? I the think there was. I mean, when I was starting in the 80s, and, you know, Kamau used to... Uh, uh, feature for me all the time and then that's why I said that horrible <laughs> remark because um, he featured for me for years and then Paul Mooney was playing over at Cobbs <laughs> and he showed up over at my club and I go what you play with me for years and now you're black all of a sudden <laughs> Paul Mooney comes to town and all of a sudden you're you used to be happy yeah. playing with me <laughs> and your mother would come and I loved her and she loved me um, the uh, I, I think I'm not saying I influenced him in any way I think it's in the air in the Bay Area um, I think it's a political situation in the Bay Area. People in the Bay Area are forever railing against the status quo. Um, and the problem right now, of course, in San Francisco is that we're completely Googleized and Facebookized and Twitterized. <laughs> and it's it's destroying the natural fiber of the um, bohemian, gypsy, I refuse to work yeah. element of San Francisco, the, the lefty, <laughs> or as my friend calls it, my show, the Soviet-style ranting that we do. I think more than politics, Robin Williams was our Elvis Presley. And he was both political, sub-referential, worked lightning fast, and improvisational. And all of those things seeped into a lot of the comics in San Francisco. Comics that came through San Francisco that were fabulous are Dana Gould, who's one of the most superb writers you'll ever hear as a comedian. Uh, uh, Warren Thomas, who was my best buddy, who passed away. The world is nuts. Supreme Court is crazy. We got 80-year-old guys who can't get hard-ons telling women what to do with their bodies. You figure this out. Supreme Court. Of course, the pro-lifers claim now that life starts in the male scrotum after two Budweiser, so they're getting really... Uh, Warren Thomas was lightning fast and could do all of those things and would throw the show off in a minute if he could get a laugh from the comics. You know what I mean? He'd be in the middle of something really... I remember once he was on stage and he just riffed this line. He goes, do you know that I got busted for stealing a grape at Safeway the day the SNL scandal broke? And like, that's a brilliant line. Anyone else would close with that. He threw it away. I loved him and I think about him every day and I think about his material. And when I get stuck, Tim, writing or when I feel nervous and like I want to take a volume because I'm too scared of a situation, Warren used to say, I put up the Warren Shields, man. Because Warren had a line of bullshit a mile long, man. And he would just front you. You know, he'd front the audience so hard. So I, I try to keep him inside of me, you know. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll write a joke simply based on his style, what I know he'd write. Like years ago, 
was it? There was a Obama, you know, and I said, you turn on TV and these pundits are on TV going, Obama's not that black. And I go, really? How black did you want him to be? <laughs> did you want him to come bumping through the hood in a super sport pumping too short? What was it? Uh, the presidential hoopty. hoopty has stopped in front of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> Notice how the rims keep spinning. Long, long after the leader of the free world has brought his vehicle to <laughs> Warren Thomas would have said the presidential hoopty. <laughs> and a friend of mine came running up to me. We did it in Montreal years ago. Dave Rath, who was his manager, uh. came running up and went, that's Warren's line. Do you have any musical inclination? I love music more okay. than anything else. The whole book is full of music. There's a chapter on soul. There's a chapter on jazz. I'm feeling that. The way you talk, you're talking like a musician, and your rhythm is like a musician. Well, thank you. I, I, I think that uh, the music is in the words, and poetry is really important, and it's really important to have a meter and to talk in a certain way. And like, um, So I was doing NPR in New York, and... Uh, the cat had read the book or he'd been prepped on it or whatnot. And uh, the, I say in the book, soul music's the best music. I go, it's often said that blues cure the blues. And I'm like, I find that blues don't cure the blues, that soul <laughs> cures the blues, right? And, you know, I'm talking about Marvin Gaye and, 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 and uh, the Ohio players, this, that. And he goes, he was a little bit older than I. And he went, um, having lived through that era, I find that a lot of the soul music... I would think was rather formulaic. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you had this pretty well. Anyway, we won't go into it. And I almost oh my god scissor kicked this dude right. Like I had to. We were at NPR in a very fancy NPR. Was that like an ageist statement? I don't know what he was thinking. Whether he thought, and I almost said, "Really, you found Motown (laughs) to be formulaic? Not the greatest confabulation of talent ever put in a building. You found Stax Volt formulaic? Not that Ashford and Simpson and Isaac Hayes and these cats are breaking off a, a magical." Uh, uh, music, you think uh. Booker T and the MGs are a formula? You think Aretha Franklin's a fucking formula? Like, I, I almost lost my shit. Like, are you comparing it to now when we have Justin Bieber on the charts? I mean, really? But you, uh, you say some of the people you feel are the essentials in soul music are Marvin Gaye, Ohio Players, Curtis Mayfield, Aretha Franklin, Sly and the Family Stone. Not Al Green, even though he is the president's favorite. I adore Al Green. Oh. Uh, I didn't have time to put everybody in. Well, I would think you'd agree, Leonard, that none of those people are very formulaic. They're, they certainly are original Al artists. Al Green is, yeah. No, Curtis Mayfield. Well, anyway, we won't go into it. <laughs> <laughs> you can contest me on that if you like. Yeah, let's talk a bit about grammar because uh, that's always fun. And I wasn't able to pick every artist. So I, I think yeah. the chapter's like, it's literally like Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, Ohio players. I can't remember who else. It's not that. Sly and the Family Stone. Because oh. I say Sly and the Family Stone, the coolest group of all time. There it really is. I said they're the coolest group of all time. They're like a group of superheroes. Right. Argue with me on that. Like, you, <laughs> they're not a formula, man. <laughs> Sly was a DJ, right? And like, so he knew from formula. Yeah. And, and uh, he was a DJ at, at the Soul Station in, in the Bay Area. And then like, he got his group together with his family. And like, so you've combined funk, rock, soul, gospel, a little bit of jazz, yeah. and that's a formula? Yeah. Like, everyone that made a record after Sly and the Family Stone started using that, what Sly laid down. Yeah, even Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix Was did. jealous, he was jealous of You know Sly. what I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, like, like, there's nobody that didn't, all of a sudden, uh, Herbie Hancock's used, all of a sudden, the bass is heavy, all of a sudden, people are singing in harmony, yeah. all of a sudden, the, the kind of things he's talking about, the social issues and all this. Everybody copied him. It's like, and they we, have songs like "Don't Call Me Inward." Oh yeah, that's oh yeah. yeah. Don't call me YT. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 still beautiful, and I I'll stand by that forever. So when he said it, I really didn't know what to say. 
I was flummoxed. I mean, I think we just moved on in the conversation. I was like, if you're going to talk about formulas, man, how about radio? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like NPR isn't some big old talking down to you, corporate oil-driven Montessori school. F***ing white people feeling good in Volvos about their middle-class bourgeois David Sedaris existence. That's not what f***ing NPR, you know, like I just... Yeah. I don't know, but you know how bourgeois people are. Oh, I do. They, they, they want to hold tight to their bourgeois jazz, and they don't, they don't dig uh, the scene. All right, <laughs> with so. a gangster lean. <laughs> we'll be right back with more. It's all true, and more. Greg Proops after the break, and when we return, you'll hear his funny personal true story. Here's a clip. And we're wet and we're cold. cold. Your your clothes are freezing a little bit. Right. It's starting to get a little dark. (laughs) And it's two hours back to where our our gig was. Oh, and fun fact. If you live in Chicago, we're doing a live version of the It's All True podcast July 12th during the Comedy Exposition Stand-Up Festival. For more info, visit ComedyExposition.com. All right. More Greg Proops after the break. This week on Nerdette, author of The Martian, Andy Weir, and everyone's favorite astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Here's the worst combination, to be ignorant and have no curiosity. Well, you know, just just move back into the cave, because that's where you're actually living. All that and more on Nerdette, because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Listen every week at wbez.org slash podcasts. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Tim Barnes. And in each episode, I ask a guest to reveal a headline for a funny personal true story. This week's guest is comedian and author of the smartest book in the world, Greg Proops. Here's his headline. Barrier youth in treacherous ice trail tragedy. In high school, I was in this youth group, right? My friend invited me to be in it. And we met in a church, but it wasn't a Christian youth group. Like, I don't know what we were supposed to be doing. I guess just making the scene with this older guy, right? He was the minister. His name was Larry. And he was a very lovely guy. We talked about um, uh, transactional analysis, which was a very big thing in the 70s, which is a kind of a philosophy slash belief system slash way of thinking based on uh, Fritz Perls, who wrote a book called In and Out of the Garbage Pail. So, uh, like Freud says, there's id, ego, superego. Um, Fritz Perls was a parent adult child, right? Oh. So wherever you're coming from, it's either from your child, your, your adult, the autonomous part of your personality, or the parental, right? Okay. So that was the kind of jazz we used to talk about, right? We went to Yosemite uh, on a trip, and there was another cat in the group named Scott Crandall, who I still know, and uh, he was the, a little older. I remember he smoked Marlboros. And uh, we were the two biggest loudmouths in the group, no question. We were always trying to get laughs. We were the biggest jokers. We were, you know, just trying to be the center of attention if we could. Because there was guys and girls in this group. And uh, so we went out to uh, this place outside of Yosemite called South Fork or North Fork or something. And we were painting this parsonage, right? A guy, a parson lived in it. This was our good deed, right? Like we all <laughs> rolled out together in a couple cars. And we're going to paint the place, da, da, da. Uh, in any case, uh, we get to this trail and uh, it's springtime, but there's still snow everywhere. And it's called Vernal Falls, right? And there's a sign. We reach this point. And, and I'm wearing like just regular, like not even hiking boots, just like boots and jeans. And I got a little hat on and whatnot. And this is the 70s, right? So we're all in bell bottoms, you know. There's a sign that says, the trail is closed from here on. It's covered in by snow. And we bag him, right? Because there's 
15 of us teenagers. And we're like, Larry, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, let us do it. And he goes like, all right. But as soon as I say we got to turn back, we got to turn back, right? So we go down the trail. And of course, it's an ice precipice, right? <laughs> and I remember if I barely made it across, I slipped a few times. If I'd fallen off, I would have fallen into like a 300-foot chasm, which was what was on the left side of us. <laughs> One of the cats gets too afraid and freezes in the middle of it, right? So Mary has to go back and like talk and horse whisper his butt across <laughs> this ice chasm, uh. finally gets him across. And by the way, he's the son of the other minister at the church. John was his name. So if he'd let him die, yeah. you know what I mean? We can't go back home. So we, we, we get off this part of the horror of the trail, and now we're falling up to our waists in snow. <laughs> so we finally get off this thing, and we get to where the bus stops, right? And we all wait. We go to the bus stop. Now we're back at Curry Camp. And we're wet and we're cold. And cold. You're, yeah. you're, your clothes are freezing a little bit. It's right. A little ice and it's suit. starting to get a little dark. <laughs> and it's two hours back to where we our, our gig was. And uh, I go into the store and I bought, I'll never forget, a Mad Magazine and a Mars Almond Bar. <laughs> I think I was 15. <laughs> and I come back out and there's Crandall smoking a cigarette. And I go, where's Larry? Where's the two cars? And he goes, I don't know. And they laughed. They left without us. And so we sat there together and they were like, well, what should we do? Because there's only a payphone, right? <laughs> now the buildings are starting to close up, right? Now there's, you know. It's how old are you again? 15. 15. Uh, he left. the two- So <laughs> we sat there for maybe two hours, right? And now it's cold. Now it's dark. Yeah. Now it's freezing. So it start- what started is funny and we're joking and riffing with each other. Now it's like, I'm- this is who I'm going to kill in-, in order, right? First Larry, <laughs> then this person, then this person. Finally, a station wagon comes screaming back into the parking lot, right? And we're sitting exactly where they left us, right? Have you eaten your Mars bar? I've, oh, now we're starving, right? Because the <laughs> store's closed. And he goes, I go, how in the world did you not notice that Scott and I were not in the cars? Well, like, there was two different cars, and we didn't know, and no one ever finally, after they had driven for an hour, they pulled up next to each other and went, do you have Scott or Greg in your car? And the other one went, no, we don't. <laughs> So we were left in Yosemite to die, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't die. And then we went back, uh, and uh, they gave us dinner, and we were heroes after that. <laughs> so we finally got the attention we sought and craved, <laughs> but it almost cost me my life. I remember almost slipping off the cliff and thinking, Larry— What did you, what did you learn about life from that? Um, never argue down the adult who <laughs> tells you you can't go on the trail. And if the sign says the trail is closed because it's too dangerous, they're not kidding. <laughs> And that's the show. Big, big thanks to Greg Proops for stopping by. If you'd like more info on his book and where he'll be popping up next, visit gregproops.com. It's All True is a production of WBEZ Chicago and The Whiskey Journal. The show is produced by me, I, myself, Tim Barnes, Joe Dassault, Brad Helm, and of course, Tim Barnes. And also special thanks to WBEZ producer Joy Powers for hooking me up with this awesome interview. Next week on It's All True, I talked to comedian and Cleveland native Ramon Rivas. I went to college for a couple years but never really decided what I wanted to do. I stopped going. Um, 
and then was just kind of working at a law firm, just as a mail clerk making copies, stuff like that. And uh, I took a saw an ad for a comedy class in a paper at like the local community college. So I was like, I'll do that. So I sign up and I go and I'm the youngest person by like 20 years. Like everyone else in this class is like bucket list. I'm about to die. I want to do comedy before I die. If you dig the show, subscribe to It's All True in iTunes and tell people about it. Word of mouth is a big help and it truly means a lot. My Twitter handle is TimBarnes451 and follow the show at All True Podcast. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you. Later on Marketplace, rich people talking about rich people shit.